friends will soon be my death. I'm so sick from the drink. I Unofficial Canadian anthem running today. I felt like I should say good morning and happy Canada Day. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Happy Canada Day to you and everyone in Canada. Enjoy the holiday. We have a couple mm-hmm. days till we have our, our big party here in the States. Um, oh, happy listen, July 1st, everybody. Happy July 1st. Phil- Philadelphia's been going on since the uh, 16th of June. We end on uh, the next weekend. We have fireworks every night. And this uh, this weekend is the party on the parkway. With, the uh, big Ludacris and Oh, yeah. We have Ludacris coming. And... Oh, my gosh. I want to say... That- I want to I wanna say Ariana Grande, but it's not... I forget who it is offhand. Um, really? When is when the, is that? Is that the third? I actually think that happens either tomorrow or Tuesday night. Mm. I, but they've got all kinds of street prep prep going, you know, with uh, things closed and. Oh, I'm sure having, blocking everything off. Well, they had a problem last year. Somebody shot a gun up in the air, and bullets came down somewhere, and so they <laughs> want to make sure that people can't get near it with, unless they're going into it. So. And I'm sure they're going to have to go through magnetometers as well. I am but sure. It's, but we, we say they've had fireworks on the Delaware every night this week. And for Phillies games, they've had them. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so they're all in celebrating. <laughs> Cheryl points out, our friend from Atlanta, points out Ludacris hails from Georgia. So yes, he does. That's, he's coming up to represent. Yes, he is. That is great. And, it's so good to see uh-huh. everybody online. Welcome to the podcast. I'm and seeing Betty forget saying Ravens. July 5th is Venezuela's right. Independence Day. And, and I wasn't yet. And I think yesterday was Perling's birthday. Happy birthday, Perling. Happy birthday, uh, Feliz Cumpleaños. I did, I've not been online as many of you know. Um, 
and I completely missed that. I'm going to have to send her ber belated birthday wishes. Shell's saying it's 77 degrees at 6 a.m. in Vegas, and they're under excessive heat warnings. So please be safe and keep hydrated. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot about the Midwest. I mean, totally mm -hmm. excessive to the point where they're not of the type of heat they're not used to at all, which isn't good. No, no. And I see Brenda's <laughs> joining us from uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And of mm -hmm. course, Betty. Betty reminds everybody and about Raven's birthday. Mm -hmm. We're going to do and a little. Elena. Mm hmm. So, yes. what, what else is new and exciting happening uh, this weekend? Well, um, we, as you know, Pam, I'm actually podcasting from Starbucks on Lancaster Avenue in Devon, which is in the Philly suburbs, uh, because I think, as we, we may have mentioned this, um, next installment of Pam and Leslie's Crazy Adventures, uh, we are driving to Bethany Beach, Delaware today to uh, attend a book signing for E.L. James. Yes. And Very exciting touring and promoting her new book, The Missus, and mm -hmm. I'm super excited to get to finally meet her in person. I was so She's sad a, I couldn't join you and Betty when she came around uh, to New York. For the mister. For the yeah. mister. So, and Betty corrected us, Perling's birthday is on August 10th. Okay, well, happy early birthday, Perling. <laughs> I don't know whose birthday was yesterday that you were wanting to remember. I know Jennifer um, yes. had a birthday, birthday this week. So, oh, uh, Locklear so. Publishing, Jennifer Locklear. Yes. So, Anna's noting Ezra's graduation party's at three today, and she's hoping the rain goes away. Brenda's hoping to catch E.L. James at the next book bonanza. Good luck getting tickets, friends. Yeah, that's, that's I tough. I tried for years to get tickets there. Um, I'm hoping, hoping for next year. I also came across, um, and some of you may have heard of the Windy City book event. That's happening next year. Um my friend sent it to me and I thought it looked like a lot of fun. I mm -hmm. uh, just as a heads up for all of you, um, because next year I'm trying to find the link next year. Uh, Amy Dawes is going to be attending that event and she's a lovely, lovely author. This is the person who did, um, obviously uh, did the most recent Passion Flicks film, um, Wait With Me. So very, very excited for uh, Amy. And Brenda Book Bonanza was, was on the... Oh, go ahead. Book Bonanza was on the Today Show this week because they were talking to... Colleen Hoover about the Last of Us and a little bit about her life and um, 
she's from a town in Texas that Jenna Bush Hager's been to when she, and uh, right sitting next to her at Book Bonanza was E.L. James. So, but she didn't interview her, just uh, Colleen Hoover. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So it's uh, it should be it should be fun. I know she was at the beach yesterday. She posted a picture of the Atlantic on the other side of the pond. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. So. And I see Ellie's just joined us. Uh, Lena's on as well. Mm -hmm. um, Ellie's noting the missus was good. She did a listen of it this week on Audible. Fun with the added mm -hmm. piano bit she notes. So I'm really excited. Oh, I, think, I think I might reread the mister leading into it, but I don't know because there's so many books in mm -hmm. so little time. I haven't so. listened to the Audible yet because I just haven't had a had the time, a chance to even sit down. I don't know if anybody, I, some of you may have known. I got off the podcast last Saturday with my neighbor knocking on the door and said, "You know, your back window of your car is broken." And here comes somebody had broken into my car, tore apart the around the steering column and tried to steal my car. So my car is now at the shop. I don't know how much it's going to cost me yet, and I don't have insurance for it. So, I mean, I'm really doing a bang-up job there. Anyway. <clears throat> it is nasty, and I'm so sorry that happened, Pam. It's... The, the only silver lining is they actually didn't steal the car. So well, that's, that's true. A plus. And that's it a did plus. start. It did start. The ignition is it's intact. So when I get when I talk to the mechanic has it and he's gonna give me a call this week mm -hmm. to let me know whatever and if, it, if it's drivable then maybe you know hopefully I'll be able to get it back to to uh, drive it and save my money up so I can get the rest of it fixed. So well, hopefully uh, this will life. all work. Life. Everybody is very sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm, and I know. Holy cow, Pam Shell said. Yeah, it's 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 bad news. Elena notes Elena notes that uh, from her coast in Maine, 65 degrees, overcast yet again. We've barely seen the sun in days. I may be starting to get moldy. She said. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. It's been and, uh, the last weekend. I thought I was getting molded behind the ears because it was raining so much. So, <laughs> well, Ugh. I, I see. Elena said she reread the Mister this week, starting with the Mrs. Later today, and she cannot wait. And Ellie shared the story that she was working when El e. James was in L.A. before for the book bonanza this year, but. She did not see Erica finally at the book bonanza in 2019. She got the chance to mm. finally hug her. Because for those listeners, Ellie was in the famous, she um, knew I the see. famous room in the famous fan fiction room where all the great stories were born. Um, several published authors now did the fanfic for Twilight. Ellie was one of the folks who. Uh, participated in that community mm -hmm. and which bore so many great authors, including the Locklears and SR and E.L. James. And I think Helena Hunting was in there as well, if I'm recalling. So super, super cool. Mm. And I'm glad you got the chance to meet her. 
<laughs> and Lori's, Lori said, Leslie, you would love living here. It has been so hot. <laughs> I know. I get me to Texas. Get me to Texas. And Betty's asking if Snarky tried to use your car for one of those illegal speed races. Yeah, actually, he was trying to do donuts. And Ellie's car had gotten broken into while her daughter's at her daughter's therapy. Mm -hmm. And she got that fixed and still hasn't gotten through to the insurance or the police. Well, fortunately, the police did give me a report. doesn't say much, but it has a case number on it, period. Yes. And, and also got hit with a rock in the windshield, which I, uh, that's my other pet peeve that I get a lot in cars for whatever reason. Oh. Allie noted but. that her car was broken into while she was at her daughter's therapy the last few weeks of school. Mm -hmm. was able to get that fixed and she still hasn't gotten through insurance and police report but last weekend the rock got kicked up from a truck on 99 on the way to her friend's daughter's graduation from davis so she had to get that window replaced i mean it's just been crazy with the car mm -hmm. um and thank you shell for reminding me i forgot deborah anastasia was also in that fanfic group and Lori was asking mm -hmm. if Alice Clayton also was in the group and Ellie said yes Shell loves animate me she is and so funny Poughkeepsie series I did not know I, I remember Deb was in now that you mention it but I did not realize Alice Clayton was also in that group that is insane you know, well, do you remember when we went to Richmond and, and Deborah Anastasia was handing out uh, maxi pads with her fa yes. face on it? She was one of the <laughs> she was the most memorable uh, person at the book signing uh -huh. because she she drew personalized uh, art on maxi pads as a handout as some of the bling. She's super fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, Ellie noted the. Four first fanfics I read were um, Masters, Masters of the, the Universe, Universe, which was the one that Erica A.L. James did, and the, mm -hmm. oh, I can never remember the University name, University of, of Edward, Edward, Edward Madsen. Madsen. Thank you. That was and, SR's and, and uh, Wallbanger, Wallbanger, plus the big one from an author I don't acknowledge anymore. Wow. Very good. I, Shell. yes, hey. yes. Um, Shell's a proud member of that pad posse. <laughs> so, <laughs> as it seems that several people have Ellen. the uh, personalized uh, maxi pads from De Deborah Anastasia as their uh, special bling. Mm -hmm. And I see Kenzie's joined us this morning. Good morning, Kenzie. Good morning, Kenzie. Kenzie. And Yes, Wallbanger is Twilight fan fiction, and I'm very excited that Wallbanger is coming to the screen, courtesy of Passion Flicks. That is super exciting. Mm -hmm. um, cannot wait for that one. So, uh, so our uh, the news that we have this week <laughs> basically is that SR is going to be on the podcast next week. Yes, uh, to discuss the movie. So we're excited Same about that. Same time, 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, he's mm -hmm. very much looking forward to chatting with everybody. Uh, we're going to spread the word so those who want to get on can uh, can join and 
hear uh, some of his thoughts about the film. Um, very, very excited about that. And Betty wants to know where Walter is. Well, Walter Boo Boo is in his bed lying behind my chair. <laughs> is he sleeping? Yes. Oh, God, last night. I, I was going after I watched, um, I was watching, I think, a Hallmark movie or something before I went upstairs. And um, I went, I, you know, got my stuff together, got a couple cookies or biscuits for Walter, and I went over. He was sleeping on the couch. The poor puppy, well, I woke him up out of a completely dead sleep. <laughs> he had no clue. Aww. And he was like, walking all over the place he, he walked into a chair <laughs> my poor baby oh and finally i got him led to the steps and got him upstairs so. mm. my poor little boo boo i know i know so ellie's ellie's got a great uh story about book bonanza 2019 deborah and helena were of course side by side at the and the singing and at or the designing in my smart ass brought a large poise pad and a one small one since I'm I post maxi pads and uh, <laughs> Deborah's had so had so much fun with it <laughs> signing the big one and walked over to Elaine and her had her sign the small one. <laughs> oh my gosh, Ellie, that is priceless. I totally could see them. Oh gosh, uh, their interactions together. If you ever have a chance to go to a book signing where they are both present. You can tell they They're are funny. ride or die. I mean, they are such good friends and they are so funny together. It really is, um, it is really a joy to watch them and to see their friendship and collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, salt and peppers for sure. Yeah. And Kenzie, hey, notes, that, Kenzie well. notes that Alice Clayton's fanfic back in the day was called Edward Wallbanger, hence the tie-in to uh, Twilight. So, very, very cool. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle mm -hmm. notes, Helena and Deborah are salt and pepper. And yep. Kenzie notes, so many of these stories exist because of Twilight. That series really changed many people's lives and publishing. You're right on point there, Kenzie. It really is absolutely remarkable. Right. Um, and I'm very, very excited about uh, getting a chance to meet another author who was in that very special fan fiction room. So we have a really uh, good chapter that we're delving into. Finally, finally, after all the angst, all the anxiety, all of the, all of the arguments, all of the first fights, all of the makeup sex, we have arrived at the lecture for Julia to present. So we're diving into chapter 15, mm -hmm. part one. And we begin uh, with a little note about Paul uh, have, had presented his paper. It was well received and Gabriel um, mm -hmm. thought it was, it was good, uh, but he felt it was a little short. I think maybe everything Paul does, Gabriel might is a little short um, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I just see uh, Betty noted I still haven't read the Twilight series I am in that boat as well Betty maybe you and I should read that together at some point 
because um, I feel like it has been the birth, uh, it spawned the birth of so many authors that we love. Um, Amber L. Johnson also did fan fiction and her Twilight fan fiction was Puddle Jumping. It's amazing. And mm -hmm. so I'll have to check that out. So Amber Johnson is not an author that I've known about. And Betty, regarding lecture, said, In my head, Paul finished his awesome presentation and over everyone was impressed. Big standing ovation. <laughs> of course they did, I know. Betty. Well, I know Betty really wanted and was disappointed that Paul's lecture was not included, not um, described by SR in the uh, in the redemption. I know she would have liked to have seen that. So, yes. <laughs> so, but you know. But I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna say it this way because after having trying to synopsis synopsis whatever this particular part of the of the chapter. There, there had to be a whole lot of a, lot, a whole lot of goddamn research that went on in this because it was not an easy one to, uh, you know, condense. Put it to put it mildly. Pam had a lot of homework this week, so. and she did a great job with that. Uh, oof. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. So. Um, <laughs> Shell notes, if you aren't booed, you did okay with your presentation. <laughs> That's right. And Betty notes, I also would, had liked to see Paul's graduation, but that didn't make it in the book either. Yeah. Uh, poor I'm Betty. not sure when that was or will be, because um, right now he's working on his dissertation with Catherine. I'm glad that he did the paper though i think it's cool that she invited him to present um i think that shows that she really does feel paul is a solid student and i think that you know i think just having been invited to this event i think is a feather in his hat so mm -hmm. really really good uh, one other note on the fanfic days ellie um, shared and I always love to share your net your nuggets, Ellie, because they're so interesting and cool. Ellie notes Ruthie was another fave, and she was at 2019 Book Bonanza too, abstract way back in the day, and Ruth Clampett in real life. I've met her. Um, I've met up with her several times, and love, love, love her and her stories. Daughter of the famous Bob Clampett animator. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's another. I think I had heard that Ruth Clampett was in that book, but I haven't read her stuff yet. Yeah. Um, Betty Shell notes you need to write Paul's fan fiction story. <laughs> and Brenda said, "LOL, Betty, this isn't Paul's story." <laughs> and Betty says, "I'm proud of Paul. He's moving up in the academic world, and all without Gabriel's help." <laughs> Well, Gabriel did help, and we have to, we do have to give some credit where credit is due, since he was his advisor. Absolutely. SR needs to write a novella on Paul just for you, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> it will be interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> so she has an idea for Paul's story, but she was going in a different direction from the boss. So, so Gabriel was. 
also a bit pleased uh, when he saw Julia and Paul returning from lunch. It seemed like they were a little bit uneasy and I think it made Gabriel, it probably gave him a little bit of comfort um, because he was, you know, concerned about Julia going off with Paul and Gabriel had wanted to question her about lunch, but he held back and, you know, decided he's not going to go there and mm-hmm. was just happy to be sitting next to her for the lecture. And then after Paul's presentation, Professor Patel then proceeded to walk up to the podium and glowingly introduced Julia as a rising star at Harvard. Uh-huh. Gabriel was quite proud while Krista sat there seething. And Julia walked up to the podium, placed her paper on top of it, and noted there were about 50 academics all staring up, waiting for her to begin. She noted professors Picton Marinelli and Gabriel sat near each other in the front, and she seemed even smaller standing behind the lectern. Professor Patel moved the microphone closer to her um, since she is a petite miss. She had to have the microphone moved down. She was young and she was nervous. Gabriel silently willed her to stop chewing the inside of her mouth, um, hoping to give her some comfort. She fixed her eyes on Gabriel, and I think that helped settle her down, and she began her presentation. The title of my presentation is The Silence of St. Francis, A Witness to Fraud. And she noted in Canto 27, verses 112 to 123 in the Longfellow text and translation that we're going to post in the chat box. Yeah, I'm going to put it in there. Okay, I have it right here. I got it. Okay. Yep. Um, Guido de Monto story of what after he died and shall I have to tell you reading this all I kept thinking of is sketchy Guido being sketchy <laughs> I uh-huh. had your I had your comment in my head the entire time I read this chapter <laughs> hashtag uh-huh. sketchy Guido is sketchy <laughs> uh-huh. oh my gosh so Julia began Noting Guido lived from lived from about 1220 to 1298. He was a prominent Ghibelline and military strategist. And after retiring, he joined the Franciscans. The Pope, uh, Pope Boniface, wanted him to give fraudulent counsel to the Colonna family. And is it Boniface, Boniface, or Boniface? Pam, do you know? how that pope uh boniface i i've always heard boniface. of boniface okay that's i'm sure it's the anglicized version of it so pope boniface yeah. wanted guido to give amnesty to the family if they would leave the security of their fortress so as a result the family left the fortress only to be punished by boniface so it really was a deceptive act that he did guido later died in a franciscan monastery in assisi And as Julia continued on about Guido's death, she glanced to Gabriel as it looked past between them because they were both thinking of how they saved each other. Uh, That whole passage was talking about kind of that 
that reciprocity and how they were able to recover. And Betty says, did Gabriel think Paul and Julia were going to make out or have an affair on their said lunch? <laughs> no, he didn't. One never no, knows. Gabriel didn't think that. Gabriel just didn't want her to spend time with him, I think. He trusts her. He doesn't mm -hmm. trust Paul. Mm -hmm. So, so she continued. Uh, she says that as, as with Dante's writing, appearances can be deceiving. In life, Guido has a deceptive tongue. In death, he inhabits the circle of the fraudulent. There's skepticism about Guido's claim that he came for his soul. And if that was Francis's purpose, he mm -hmm. failed. There was nowhere else they, they saw either overcoming goodness in the Divine Comedy. It's called a comedy because it moves the dis from the disorder of hell to the order of paradise. And there are lo there's lots at stake um, at, at, in that part of the comedy. So as she paused, she looked, took a drink of water and was shaking a bit, but continued on. Dante wrote the reason for hell was God's, uh, was motivated by justice. It was alluded to uh, Virgil when he explains justice has motivated the souls of the departed that went over the river Acheron, or Archeron. Archeron. Um, in, there you go, into hell. And uh, so she continues with, you know, her paper saying how Dante takes the view that those that who inhabit hell do so justly. Souls are not in hell accidentally or by divine caprice. And then she questioned if uh, there was the case where they could... Uh, where we uh, interpret Guido's statement. Catherine is smiling at pride with Julia. Julia I pride. think that bolstered Julia's, um, also Julia's confidence when she saw Catherine's reaction to her deliveries. I, and I think this whole idea of the divine comedy um, really being about justice being doled out I thought was mm -hmm. kind of, um, it made sense to me. I was always confused why it was called a comedy. Um, well, it, you know, a comedy has so many different, it's not just the, you know, the Robin Williams of the world right, type of right. comedy. There it's was, almost you know, like the irony or the... Yeah, yeah. So... So, so now she, she's continue on after she's getting some praise from Catherine and uh, she said, if Dante believes the souls that inhabit hell do so justly, then let's look at Guido's story. The demon sees Francis and shouts at him saying Guido belonged in hell. Also, that it would be a robbery for Francis to take it. If that were true, why would Francis appear? Right. She paused, she paused, hoping that the uh, audience would consider her question. And she then follows with the two interpretations that Guido is truthful and Francis appeared for his soul or that Guido is lying and Francis did not appear. Julia's belief that they were, uh, were too extreme. The first, because if, if, uh, it would have been correct, it would have been attributed to the ignorance or injustice neither which are reasonable. The second asserts that Francis was not there, 
and the demon's speech would not make sense. Guido cannot steal his own soul, and that makes the appearance of Francis puzzling. Uh, the explanation by Guido and the demon are untrustworthy. And in the chat, uh, Shell notes, Guido's in the fraud circle for a reason. He's a liar and a manipulative individual. Therefore, he is untrustworthy and sketchy. Sketchy. And Kenzie notes regarding the Paul-Julia lunch. I love Paul, but I do think Julia completely disregarded Gabriel's feelings and that hurt Gabriel. That's what I think bothered Gabriel as well as knowing Paul still wanted Julia. Ellie agreed with that comment. And Betty said, hey, Gabriel, check it out. Professor Picton approves of Julia's presentation. Guess who was wrong when he said Julia was going to make herself look like a fool for writing this paper? Cough, cough. You. <laughs> and, I, and I think he already attributed he that. He calmed to, down. When, he backed down once he had a discussion really with Julia ready. and really considered things. And I think she then bolstered her argument more. I think probably the initial draft didn't have as much uh, fact behind it as he would have liked her to present. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't have his facts, and that's where they he capitulated. Yeah, but to I her. think there was other things too, if I'm remembering. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she asked she asked if there were anything she, he could. Uh huh. <laughs> and Ellie said, "Betty, Betty." On his second read, he did agree. <laughs> and Shell noted, and Betty knows this, guys. Betty knows that she's just defending. Uh, she's defending her her beloved. Her beloved. Um, and Shell notes also after reading this part, I felt that Francis' appearance may just have been as Francis being there for a doomed soul or person in trouble, as was his way. And um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right on that too and maybe that's kind of where Julia was driving at you know Francis appearance Mm -hmm. was this is just what Francis normally does it's not one thing or another meaning relating to Guido Um, and of course Betty notes it is good to make Gabriel eat humble pie once in a while (laughs) (laughs) it is a serving (laughs) that that he doesn't often uh, enjoy Mm -hmm. so so as we look, uh, continue on um, after uh, Julia mentioned uh, that both the explanation by Guido and the demon are untrustworthy. Julia went on to say that she believed the puzzle of Francis by his appearance um, by rejecting and substituting one that was consistent with Francis's life and character. And I think this is kind of where we were delving into a bit. And mm-hmm. Shell, yeah. Shell, yeah. Julia continued with her theory that Francis appeared and was seen by the demon, but was misunderstood by the demon as to why he was there. And that always happens, right? Um, mm-hmm. With demons or with people, right? their misunderstandings happen in terms of trying to figure out what the motivation truly is for someone's actions. So as Julia gripped the lectern, her math ran a bit dry as the crowd started to murmur. and She looked at Gabriel because I know she was stirring the pot a bit, putting forth this theory mm-hmm. that everybody had already assumed uh, was pretty much of a resolved issue. Um, she continued on. 
While it may have been comforting to think Francis came from heaven like an archangel to find to fight for Guido's soul, that cannot be what happened. Guido capitalizes on Francis's comments to his brothers. Um, reasonable people would think he was at the death of a fellow Franciscan. Also, Guido wants Dante to spread the tale. So Guido wants this to be a witness witnessed by Dante so Dante could share what's real what happened or the version of what Guido wanted to believe had happened it would compel <laughs> others to think that it was important to merit the saint's attention or that it was a mistake to send him to hell which I think is really ballsy of sketchy Guido to think um, mm -hmm. that he would question the decision of of the maker right so, mm -hmm. you know, as Anna notes, basically Gabriel was blindsided regarding the lunch. Had Julia communicated and discussed, this could have been an academic discussion, not regarding the lunch, regarding the lecture. Sorry about that, Anna. Mm -hmm. And Shell said, but Gabriel does admit when he's wrong and does try to change and evolve. However, Paul was not admitted, has not admitted to trying to change Julia's mind and not listening to her was wrong. So Julia continued that the demon trying to persuade Francis, tried to persuade Francis not to rob him. Um, so why Guido deserves to be in hell. Um, Guido had sought absolution for his sin uh, before it occurred. And he believed absolution would free him. So he unrepentantly committed the fraud over the Colonna family. So he pretty much thought, you know, he had his bases covered and he could do whatever he want, mm -hmm. wanted because he already got permission, which was just not yeah, right. And he, you know, getting permission for doing also, wrong is still wrong. And also trying to get the absolution right. for it ahead of right. time. That, and that kind of, that, that, that kind of interferes with what I was taught with my Baltimore catechism back in the 60s. You know, and you, you had for a mortal sin, you had to have the thought, the word, the deed. And he had the thought, the word, and deed, but he hadn't done the deed mm. yet. So, anyway. Well, the demon pointed out that the absolution only works after you repent. You know, uh, Guido was out mm -hmm. of sync. You know, he, he, was, he was trying to have everything work in his favor. And you can't sin and repent at the same time. Julia also mentioned that you can't equate absolution with fire insurance, right? I mean, That's true. this made the audience laugh, including Paul. And Julia continued saying that Guido had cloaked in his Franciscan robes and his preemptive absolution. He had surrounded himself in that storytelling. And truly, he's a fraud. He shamed the Franciscans. Francis would have known this. He could have condemned Guido's sin, but he remained silent. He can't save Guido, and the demon grabs Guido by the hair and pulls him down. The ugliness of the demon and Guido's false Franciscanism appear worse than Francis's quiet, pious presence. This is why the demon thinks that Francis is there to steal. That silence forces you to re-examine Guido's tale. And mm -hmm. there is much chatter in the 
There are. Chat. There are. One thing, though, I'm going to say about St. Francis. He had one of the uh, famous one of lines that I always try to keep is preach the gospel every day and sometimes use words. I love that. And that's sort of a Francis, St. Francis's, you know, right. way being quiet, being. It's really about day. service and action. Um, Absolutely. And that's, you know, not just talking the talk, but walking the talk. Yep. Um, and that is, you know, that is why the Francis people. Um, so in a chat, we have a couple comments going here, and I believe the first one uh, was uh, Guido sketchy by abusing his power as a representative of God and then claims to be a good person. You cannot ask for forgiveness before you commit the fraud. And in terms of Betty was asking about when did Paul try to change Julia's mind, Julia's mind, and Betty also noted, I do think Paul uh, did listen to Julia. He advised her that she needs to speak to Gabriel about her concerns about having a baby. And you know, Paul did try to change Julia's mind regarding Gabriel, <laughs> which is true. And mm -hmm. Ellie noted, yes, I agree. Julia is always fighting for her independence and to make her own way. And both Paul and Gabriel's first instinct is to protect her, whether she needs protection or not. Um, and there was also the acknowledgement, uh, Kenzie said, um, recognized it. Granted, Paul did not know Gabriel and Julia's backstory. Um, Ellie notes, Paul tried very hard to change Julia's mind about Gabriel and to see himself as the better choice. Um, there was a lot of info concealed, Ellie notes. Um, <laughs> true that. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, and Shell notes, every minute of every day. <laughs> so. so so as as, as uh, Julie continues she's asking what Francis would have would Francis have been so passive to try to rescue a soul condemned unjustly of course not if Guido had repented his sin it may have been different all Francis could do was offer what was his silent compassion right. well, and his prayers, maybe. Well, because I think maybe. Francis here, you know, he's not going to save a soul that's that needs to atone for its sins, right? I mean, Francis isn't right. going to right. say, nope, you're, you know, you need to be rescued um, when he knows he willingly committed this fraud. Um, and that there should be justice and that, you know, this is where he was destined to be because of his wrongdoing. So I thought that was an interesting, you know, it's not Francis being passive, it's Francis being just. Right, right. And so then, so then she looks at Krista, and as she's, you know, like with all this going on in the background, I was thinking that when she's looking at Krista, you know, it, it's, you know, Krista's like the, right. the uh, demon. Right. Trying yeah. to, uh, you know, say mm -hmm. stealing, whatever. I think there's a, yeah, I mean, um, I think 
and I don't know if Julia was intentionally trying to convey that to her. Probably not. But maybe just the thought of evil had her looking at Krista, um, given the fact that she just confronted her and more or less was taunting her about um, Gabriel. Right, right. And, and that's why I, like, I was sort of thinking that when I was writing, typing mm -hmm. this up yesterday. So, um, you know, so she's, she's saying that uh, the demon uh, could have argued with the, uh, could have been argued with calling him a liar for a false appearance, but that the a demon was only mm -hmm. gossiping about him. There you go. That's a Krista. Definitely. Ding, ding, um, ding. But... But, Fra mm -hmm. but Francis could have fought him, but being silent so the evil can be heard for exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, with those words, Julia uh, shifted her gaze to the other members of the group, and she saw, she saw heads nod and Paul's wide expressive grin. So, yeah, the demon and, and the, uh, the sweet girl, St. Francis. Um... So Guido would have would have us believe that St. Francis was either gullible enough to believe that Guido belonged in heaven or arrogant enough to believe that he could second-guess God. Guido would think that either we are to believe Francis confronted a demon and lost because he wasn't smart enough to best the demon in a match of logic. You know, Francis's life and, and actions give the lie those possibilities. But in Julia's opinion, he went to the grave of Guido de Montefeltro to mourn him and his life of fraud. And there's Walter for you. He's standing in the dining room now. Um, just for you, Betty and Kenzie. Um, but not to rescue him. In doing this, Francis manifested compassion and mercy, although a severe mercy. And at that moment, Julia's eyes met Gabriel's. Francis was not a thief or deceptive or fraudulent, and he made no attempt to use vain words to further his cause. If anything, Guido captured the essence of Francis, describing him as present but silent. It was surprising that someone so skilled in fraud would be so adept in painting a picture of virtue. But as you reflect on the followers of Francis and what they told on his life and works, we see that's exactly what Guido does, even as he attempts to overshadow him with his rhetoric. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think that's, that, that's where I can compare Julia and, and Krista's relationship at the moment. So Julia decided, she concluding with her paper with thinking that two historical interpretations of this passage are mistaken. Francis appeared at the death of Guido, but not to steal his soul. Francis' appearances contrast true Franciscanism with the false Franciscanism of Guido. And if anything, Dante uses Guido as a foil to praise the piety of St. Francis by providing contrast to the two men. And, and lecture. <laughs> um, well, and, and lecture. And scene. <laughs> you know, she is challenging to very entrenched ways of interpreting this section so this is pretty mm -hmm. you know this is pretty racy sexy stuff in the land of dante academics 
So I, I think, you know, number one, this is why Catherine wanted her to present. She wanted, you know, this academic rigor and this academic de debate to unfold. And I think it really does showcase mm -hmm. uh, Julia's intellect and her, um, her being that rising star that Dr. Patel uh, portrayed. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is also, SR definitely writes a lot about St. Francis. And I think this is a way also for SR to share more insight on his feelings for uh, Franciscanism and for St. Francis. But, so I think, you know, I think it's really interesting how this was all woven together. Um, and when we return um, talking the next time about chapter 15, part two, we'll 15. get to discuss all the fallout um, from uh, the completion of the lecture and the, the, people's responses and reactions. Yeah. So as we were talking about this, there were a ton of chatter still on the Paul Julia dynamic. So mm -hmm. I wanted to share wanted to share that because I think I think it's it's some good stuff. Um, let me get back, back to where we started. Um, Betty notes Paul has only seen the worst part of Gabriel. She can't blame him for still being concerned about Julia. Um, and I I do agree with him having concerns because he doesn't know all that's changed, but she said he's changed. So he should respect her enough to, um, you know, acknowledge that, but he can still have concerns about it, especially if someone's in love. Sometimes they don't see the full picture. Um, Kenzie mm -hmm. notes that Paul did try to change Julia's mind on Gabriel. Um, and actually I jumped, hold on. Shell says, I respect everyone, but Paul can never be a good guy to me. And Anna notes that this time in the book and part one, I dislike both Julianne and Paul, both basically betray in their own way. Shell's continuing, Julia made poor life choices concerning her actions with Paul, but he didn't hold up to the end of the bargain. And Betty contributes that Julia and Gabriel hid many details. It's their life. I understand that. But Julia lied many times about her ex-boyfriend. She named him Owen and then gave him Simon's toxic traits. Then she up and changed her story and explained that Owen was really Gabriel. The same man who was rude to her in front of all the students and ridiculed her by asking her if English was her first language. Paul only saw Gabriel acting as a bully towards her. And he also discovered that Professor Singer and the professor had an affair. So if you put all of these mm -hmm. pieces together and never see the evolution of Gabriel, what else is Paul to think? Um, Kenzie contributes that I can't see Paul as a bad guy because I think his intentions were honest. Julia did not communicate as a friend with Paul about anything, even before Paul's feelings developed. After all, Paul did write Paul as Virgil. Um, and Virgil is not the villain. Mm. Or I think... Kenzie, did you mean SR did write Paul's Paul? Um, 
as Virgil, and Virgil's not the villain. Um, Ellie contributed that Paul also doesn't believe Julia, that Gabriel isn't the man that Paul sees. I always found that condescending, actually, and it doesn't help his case with Julia. He didn't have a right to Gabriel and Julia's past or present. Um, her word should have been enough. So I don't think that helps his case with Julia. Paul's only seen snippets and misinterpretations of Gabriel as he was a student and teaching assistant, not his confidant. And he does present as a threat to Gabriel. So Gabriel even told him mm -hmm. that Paul may be right, that he is better for Julia, but Julia chose Gabriel. All really good insights, everybody. Um, <laughs> Betty says Walter's sharing his thoughts of the chapter as well. He was, yes, he was. He's back in bed now. <laughs> and I love uh, shell notes is CFP Guido or the demon, LOL, or a combination. Great question, Shell. Um, mm -hmm. Ellie noted, again, Betty, Paul had no right for that information. Gabriel and Julia at the time did have to conceal their relationship. And <laughs> Shell notes Paul really was going off of gossip and eavesdropping information. And Kenzie said, I think as a friend, Julia owed Paul an explanation when he was clearly upset, even if it was only part of the story. Paul only sees an intense professor being involved with a naive student, and for most people, that looks very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, Betty continued, Paul has seen many women been abused by men. I think his parents raised him to be a gentleman and a protector. So as a result, perhaps he thinks Julia is lying like some women do in order to protect their partners who are abusers. They don't see the big picture and refuse to see themselves as victims because love blinds them. Therefore, mm -hmm. I get why Paul is not taking Julia's comment as serious. Uh, Shell notes. Paul has tunnel vision with Julia, even going so far as to huh. say he misses the rabbit, even after Julia said it was about time the rabbit became more confident. And Anna notes that Julianne lied from the onset at the University of Toronto. She should have disclosed who she was and her relationship with the Clarks. And both Kenzie and Shell agree mm -hmm. with that statement. Yeah, and she does. She did mm -hmm. own. Uh, I agree with that mm -hmm. as well. And, and Kenzie also said, "I actually think Gabriel and Paul have tunnel vision with Julia." To be and I think, I think that's that's true. But you know, we're at this point in all of their lives, you know, in this storyline, in this book three of this series, that they have evolved. There is. You know, as I'm sure Elena is thinking, if she's not typing it, you know, Elena usually brings up the point that they are married. You know, Gabriel and Julia, they, they've made this commitment to each other. So Paul has to respect that boundary. Mm -hmm. And Betty rightly says Paul has missed part of Julia's personal growth. So I understand why he misses the rabbit. He only had a snippet of her personality, but I think he is seeing her and is happy for her. I agree, Betty. I think he genuinely, when... Yeah, I think he's he's happy for her. 
I don't think he's happy with Gabriel because she doesn't know anything about that part of the relationship. Mm -hmm. so. um, and Shell said Gabriel sees this, that what Kenzie mentioned, Paul has not. And always Paul, per, Paul is the one who stirs the pot in the story. Um, Kenzie notes, I think even Paul misses the rabbit. He is still happy for her. I think Paul only wants her to be happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Elena <laughs> did it, Leslie. I, I, I was waiting for you to say it, Elena, because you, you were the one who always reminds us, you know, there is that definition. Julian is mm -hmm. wrongly thought of as all good and an angel. Um, nope. Look, they're all flawed characters, right? They're human. No one's perfect in this. Um, Absolutely not. And uh, Kenzie said, Julia has her flaws, and I think SR has made that clear in the writing. Uh, Shell is Team Gabriel, she said. And Ellie dives in. I was fine with Paul as her friend until he continued on after he kissed her, tried to move in, and even at the time, Julia rejected that attempt, even though she uh, thought Gabriel had left her. Uh, yes. I think Julia did string Paul along a bit from the first kiss and not being able mm -hmm. to tell him everything. But she fessed up. I also thought she was naive to think Paul and her could still be as close friends as before and naive to think Paul and Gabriel will ever get along. <laughs> um, Anna is also team Gabriel. <laughs> Shell's like, so I, Shell. I no one mm -hmm. got that already, Sheldon. Uh, Ellie said, Kenzie, at the end, I don't think Paul was at that place yet. He's truly in the middle of the rejection and grief, and he's not yet to acceptance. And Kenzie noted, Julia absolutely led Paul on, and I think that made all of this more difficult on him. And, uh, yeah, sending mixed yeah, messages. And Elena truly in the middle of the uh, rejection and grief, and he's not agreeing with Ellie in terms of the fact and that Paul's not Kenzie to accept he's still in that absolutely grief. led Paul and, agreed, and, and he's, he's, he's hurt he's hurt mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Shell though brought up what gets her is that Paul said no matter what I'll always be your friend and she feels like he lied and Kenzie makes it will take Paul some time to move on all good discussion. This is what makes the podcast so much fun, guys. Um, I love, Absolutely. I love your insights and your thoughts. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's the strength of our discussions here. Um, and we'll have to continue with the book in two weeks because next week... Mm -hmm. since the author himself will be joining. SR will, that's right. He will be. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a fun time in the old town tonight. Yes. Bring your thoughts and opinions <laughs> on part one. Um, yep. And we can definitely have some good, good discussion in the chat. Uh, mm -hmm. Couple final thoughts before we wrap up because I, I know people put a couple more thoughts in here um, Betty notes Paul is hurt and he needs time to recover 
Ellie said, I also think Paul still thinks he has a chance in his argument with Gabriel. He didn't help Gabriel at all by saying he would still be waiting for him to mess up and he would swoop in and shrug. And note, I modified that, friends, because I'm in public. Um, Kenzie notes, I think it was right for Paul to end their friendship. It crossed a point where it couldn't be a friendship anymore, and she heard him. That's hard to come back from. And Anna, our resident uh, counselor therapist in the chat room, said couples where one had the other wrongly on a pedestal and can't see reality are the hardest to treat, but definitely worth the effort. I think that's a really interesting insight, Anna. I never thought of it that way, but I can imagine. Um, <laughs> F-bombs are fine, except when you're sitting in Starbucks. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I'm sorry you'll miss next week, Anna. She'll be in Florida. She asked us to say hello to SR, and she's available for couples therapy for these two. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I do, too. I do Always too. a good chat. So. I'm so glad to see so many of our friends in the chat room this morning on this holiday in the U.S. Um, and Canada uh, mm -hmm. weekend. Uh, Elory Notes, always interesting. I love the different views. I tend to be a listener rather than a talker, but I am in. So glad, and thank you, Kenzie. Cool. We're excited to go meet E.L. James tonight in Bethany mm -hmm. Beach. That'd so, be fun. What are you so, leaving anyway. us with, uh, today, Pam? I am leaving us with the uh, last 30 seconds, actually, of America, and I'm not sure what's coming up <laughs> next. So enjoy, everyone. Be safe, everybody. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Oh, okay.